All right, if you think you're frustrated with Joe Biden not taking enough action, wait till you get a load of the next guy we're gonna talk to. He's gotten arrested for it, he's gotten a hunger strike for it, so you ain't got nothing on him. Let's bring in Reverend Stephen Green, he's the chairman of the Faith for Black Lives, he's the pastor of St. Luke AME Church in Harlem. Reverend Green, great to have you on. Thank you so much, it's an honor to be here with all of you. Thank you. So. Did you ever think that you would have to go on a hunger strike to get President Biden to do the bare minimum that he promised during the campaign? No, I did not think as soon as the president was elected, he said that he would have our back. He's speaking to African Americans on the night of his election. He said, I would have your back. And here we are years later, a year later waiting on the president to have our back, waiting on the president to stand firm as the president to address the nation in the midst of the civil war that we're finding ourselves in, which is a crisis of our democracy. And so we have been waiting long enough. And so we hope that at this moment that the president would hear the voice of moral leadership that is crying out like blood cries out from the ground, willing and hoping for a transformation and to protect our social democracy. So Reverend Green, when it comes election time, Democrats are all over you guys saying, "Oh my God, we got to get the African American vote out and etc. And they especially come to reverends, pastors, etc. to motivate people. What do they say to you now? I mean, you like I said, you did civil disobedience here. We'll get back to that in a second. You did a hunger strike. Do they even say anything to you guys or they just don't care and don't even respond? Because it's not just you, there's 25 faith leaders that did this. Do they just ignore you? I'm curious, I genuinely don't know. No, they. the White House has responded and to the point that we know that they know that many of our faith leaders are on the hunger strike. These are faith leaders who served in the president's faith leaders, faith-based initiatives. These are faith leaders who lead some of our black denominations. These are faith leaders who campaign on behalf of the Biden-Harris ticket. And so these names who are faith leaders who are on the sacrifice official list, if you will, to protect our democracy are are those who are leaders in our communities. And so um, for the Democratic Party and for the president to uh, dismiss uh, our hunger strike would, would truly become a, a, a issue for the black faith community. Because as you mentioned, in every October, they intend to come to our, our churches to get uh, black voters to the polls. But we can't do that work if we uh, are, are living in states that have reduced early voting. If we are living in times where absentee ballots are being uh, reduced from uh, access because of draconian uh, voter suppressive laws that have uh, been in place across this country. And so uh, this is the time for President Biden and the Democrats in the US Senate to stand with people of faith, stand with people of color and protect the right to vote. We have already litigated this. We've already fought this battle across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And now in the honor and the memory of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as we approach the King holiday, now is the time for the nation to have a moral reckoning so that we are able to truly be the nation that is the home of the free and the brave. How long did the hunger strike last? 
we're still on a hunger strike. We we are hunger striking. We started on January the sixth. Uh, we've come all weekend long. Uh, many have preached in their pulpits um, uh, this Sunday morning, this past Sunday, uh, and so we are still on hunger strike. We are still waiting until the Senate will call a vote on the For the People Act or the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, I'm worried about you then uh, because. I'd be surprised if Democrats ever did anything. Um, so uh, I, I'm curious, modern day hunger strikes, what are you allowed to have and not have? Are you allowed to have water, of course, right? What, what else is allowed? Just out of curiosity. Yes, yeah, so we're doing water. Uh, electrolytes, um, and just ensuring that we are continuing to uh, have energy, a little broth uh, from soup is uh, is what is really sustaining us and giving us a little flavor. Uh, but it's, it's liquid only. Like we are truly um, committed to this uh, idea of fasting and a spiritual fast, also uh, tied to a moral argument and a moral purpose and a political ideology. So. Um, look, uh, I've done civil disobedience uh, before as well, and 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 got arrested for it. Hunger strike is is a tough one for me, <laughs> and so I don't envy you, and I and I look up to you uh, for your bravery and courage and and fortitude in that. Uh, and so, um, has the White House given you any plan, any assurances, um, any hope, or? Yeah, you know, go starve. Who cares? Well, we're hoping that tomorrow's speech by the president and vice president of Atlanta, Georgia, would be a strong and affirmative address to the nation around the critical moment that we are in. Um, I think that this is a time for the president to use the full power of the bully pulpit to address the crisis affecting our democracy that began uh, almost 10 years ago with, with the overturning of Citizens United. And we have seen uh, across the years, decade, this past decade after Shelby V. Holder, consistently uh, the threat to our democracy and a continuing to roll back the progress that we have made uh, since the Voting Rights Act of 1965, uh, since expanding the franchise for all to participate. And so we're hoping that the president will address the nation tomorrow and call upon the US Senate to end the filibuster or reform the filibuster, do whatever it takes to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I think that this is the time. And so we're, we're putting a deadline on the US Senate that by Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as was stated in the senators, uh, Senator Schumer's dear colleague letter on January the 3rd, that they will hold a vote on or before January 17th. And so we're gonna hold them to that. Our goal is to uh, use uh, this next Sunday, uh, Sunday, January 16th, that's King Sunday, in faith communities across the nation to begin to lift up their voices and advocate for the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to call the US senators on Monday uh, and every day leading up to January 17th and demand um, that the Senate will pass this bill. And if not, if the bill is not passed on January 17th, we will continue to escalate our nonviolent demonstrations across this country. Well, Reverend Green, you beat me to the punch there. That's what I was gonna ask you because since I have almost no faith in Democratic leadership, uh, I'm really worried about you guys because this hunger strike could take a while. Uh, so, uh, how do you escalate uh, if they don't pass it by the 17th? And it would be a minor miracle. I know you're in the miracle business, but it'd be a minor miracle if the Democrats ever did what they said they were going to do. Right. We the first goal is to hold the Democrats to the line and to the.
inspired to do what they say they want to do. Uh, they said they were going to do. Uh, but if not, our goal is to escalate through moral resistance, continuing to engage in good trouble. So that may look like airport shutdowns. They may look like uh, encouraging parishioners to go on strikes, boycotting some of the corporations that continue to support and to finance the insurrectionists. Uh, going to the next level in our direct action, perhaps that could look like being arrested and continuing our hunger strikes while incarcerated. But we we have a strategy and a plan that we will continue to lift up the moral consciousness and the moral light that is affecting, uh, that is being dimmed in our nation because of the threats of voter suppression and voter notification. How disappointed are you that they that Democrats have put corporate donors above your community? Because let's keep it real. The reason why they're keeping the filibuster is not necessarily because they're against voting rights. I actually, as skeptical and cynical as I am of the Democratic Party and its leadership, I thought this would be a no-brainer. I thought they'd pass this instantly, right? And I can't believe they've done this to their most loyal voters because. I mean, it's a it's a bridge too far in a thousand ways, and of course, the reason why they're doing it is because if you take away the filibuster, then they have no excuse to not do the rest of their agenda, and their donors don't want the rest of their agenda, so that's why they're throwing you under a bus. So, how disappointing right. is that? Well, it's very frustrating. I mean, it's very frustrating. We're deeply disappointed and disheartened because black voters have consistently shown up for the Democratic Party. The black voters provided the United States Senate majority to the Democratic Party. Black voters went to the polls again on January the 5th in 2021 to give the US Senate to the Democratic majority by electing Senator Ossoff and Senator Warnock. And so we're deeply frustrated, deeply disappointed. I think our moral angst is expressed to our desire for for freedom and for this for the sacrifices we're making through this hunger strike. I mean, I think that this is the time for the Democratic Party to affirm what they know to be true by supporting those who have supported them. And if not, they will see a Blexit. We've seen the Brexit happen in Britain, and we may need a Blexit here in the United States, where black people begin to take their political power to places where we can use it, and people who would affirm our political ideologies and our goal and desire for true equity and freedom in this nation. So, Reverend Green, you know, I want to make a suggestion here because. Um, look, voting for Trump or Republicans is unimaginable, and that's certainly not going to get you anywhere. They're they're the ones who took away voting rights in the first place. Now, uh, on the other hand, Democrats take you for granted, and it's maddening. And it seems like you, we're not getting very far with them. So, is it possible for faith leaders now to say, "Hey, you know what? There is one very clear political faction in this country that actually does back us 100% and isn't lying, and that's progressives." And so we could support things like just Democrats, etc., and say enough, enough. So if you're a corporate Democrat, you're an establishment Democrat, we're going to support primaries against you because you never deliver. Absolutely, and not only with just corporate Democrats, but also we have to make a decision about challenging some of our own members of the Black Caucus who continue to not wield their power for the common good. I mean, I think that we're recognizing now is that we need everyone to to to. 
put everything on the line to protect this democracy. And so it's not just a primary in the corporate Democrats, it also could look like primarying some of our own black caucus members. Because no one who is, is, is exempt from the convictions of standing and speaking truth to power. And so this is not about a color issue. This is about a creed issue. Are you Is your conviction tied to the freedom and liberation of all people? And I think that is what we must begin to interrogate and must begin to examine. And as we look towards 2022 and beyond, it's not just like all progressives have stood with us as well. I mean, as you saw, the Congressional Progressive Caucus decided to back away from supporting Build Back Better and tying it with the infrastructure bill. And so we looked at that as a betrayal from the progressive party, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party as well. The progressive wing of the Democratic Party has not been clear about racial justice often. And so we recognize that we are some almost in an island by ourselves. But we must begin to work together with allies who agree that racial justice must be central to becoming a true social racial multiracial democracy here in the United States. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. Representative Jayapal, who led the Progressive Caucus there, led him into a disaster. And it was the six Justice Democrats that voted no. It's the three Justice Democrats in the in the Congressional Black Caucus that have stood strong, Ayanna Presley, Cori Bush, Jamal Bowman. But you're not wrong, the rest of the Congressional Black Caucus is as corporate as it gets. And so it's just hiding behind their identity, but not serving the community is getting real old. And so, I mean, you're in you're in New York. There's a Hakeem Jeffries is probably the single most corporate Democrat in the country. He's from New York. So where's he at? I mean, they talk a big game, and they always don't deliver. So if you're talking about primaries of corporate Democrats or anybody else. In Democrat democratic elections, I, I love that kind of talk. So the, the number one key is serve the community, don't serve corporate donors. Because look at that, and by the way, Reverend Green, last thing I'll say. I Look, I'll put out my bias here, I, I co-founded Just Democrats. But you know, well, the one thing we did was we had a litmus test. And the litmus test was you cannot take corporate PAC money. And the minute we got them off of corporate PAC money, they're the only fighters in Congress. They're the only ones doing what they said, right? So they they rely on the African American community, establishment Democrats, to win elections, especially primary elections. And I don't know how many times they're gonna betray that community before the community finally says enough is enough, right? We can't go to Republicans anyway. Progressives is a logical place to go. And yes, we got to straighten out our own house in the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You're 100% right about that. And that's what I love about reverence. Honestly, if I'm keeping it real, especially the African American community, because you guys are the only ones speaking truth to power. So thank you, Reverend Green. And, and as much strength as humanly possible to you and all the other reverends on this hunger strike. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Devin Nunes has left the building, him and his cow. He's gone to run Trump's new media company, and he's gonna be the CEO of it. And hence, he has retired from Congress. Now, you guys wanna meet the guy who helped to chase him out? Kind of. Well, let's meet him, Lauren Hubbard, Operations Manager, Regional Water Quality Control Board, now running for Congress. 
in Devin Nunes' seat. So, Lauren, welcome. Yes, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here. Longtime uh, TYT member and excited to actually be on the conversation with you. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Okay. Now we're really backing you. Um, <laughs> no, uh, seriously, uh, there's a couple of things here, Lauren. Uh, so first, in, in regards to the uh, Devin Nunes uh, seat, it really wasn't his seat anymore, right? Because there was right. redistricting and it went from a plus five Republican district to a plus seven Democratic district. So there was a good chance he was gonna lose and that's part of the reason that he ran away, right? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, plus, having the opportunity to grift a couple million from uh, from Trump supporters is uh, an opportunity that doesn't come around very often. So, I'm sure, that was also a contributing factor. Yes, uh, he wanted to get in on the grift that keeps on giving. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's certainly true. Um, before we get into your competition in the Democratic primary, uh, and in California, of course, it's an open primary, but you've got mainly uh, Democrats running there. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Central Valley. Uh, so uh, this was previously one of the few districts that was Republican in California. And I've always been puzzled by that because uh, the Central Valley generally is more uh, Latino uh, heavy districts. I don't know if it was the case in your district, but why do Republicans win there? You know, it's it's really kind of a situation of, of uh, Democrats in this area running like Republicans. And so if you had the choice between Coke and Diet Coke, you're going to pick the Coke. Um, and that's kind of what, what we've seen. Um, you know, we had a, a person who ran against uh, Devin Nunes and get really close in 2018, uh, but he was a prosecutor. Um, you know, not the, 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 didn't bring out the type of voters uh, that really make up the Democratic base, but he was able to try to, the philosophy is always trying to pick off some of these like Republicans or who are disenchanted with Trump or uh, that that could be persuaded. And you really come to figure out that um, a, a lot of Republicans uh, kind of stick with their brand. Yeah. They're one or two issue voters. Yeah, look, the National Democrats are uh, deeply frustrating slash embarrassing. Um, constantly trying to appease Republican voters, they're just not that into you, right? Like they're, they're if if you're voting for Devin Nunes uh, after all the years he supported Donald Trump, you're not going to vote for a Democrat. I mean, it's just so foolish, and you're certainly not going to vote for a Democrat after a Democrat told you that the Republicans are better, and he's trying to be like them. So uh, that is not the case with you, uh, Lauren. You're a progressive now. Um, You've got a lot of folks in this race, and a lot of them are state legislators. So, how are you going to beat them within the primary? You know what we're doing is really trying to to talk to folks around these kitchen table issues. You know, when I'm going around canvassing in the district, whether I'm talking to Democrats or Republicans, turns out healthcare is the number one concern for folks, and it is, of course. I've learned a lot about the different philosophy of talking to folks about healthcare. When I talk to a person who is, you know, when I knock on the door and they see a Democrat on the on the flyer that I give them, and they kind of loosen up, I know I can talk to them about where my values lie as far as healthcare being a human right. Um, on the other side, 
uh, folks that are on the more conservative uh, side of the aisle also care about healthcare, but their concern is really what the cost of healthcare is. And breaking it down, really we, what we need to do in our messaging is really break down the cost of healthcare to folks. Don't you, uh, wouldn't you agree that you're paying too much for healthcare? I think we're all paying too much for healthcare. Um, I have a, a talked to a, a guy who owned a trucking company, pays about $400,000 a year in his employees' health insurance. And I told him, we sat down and had a conversation um, and told him, you know what, what would you do with that $400,000 if you didn't have to, to spend that? And he said, well, you know what, I'd probably uh, turn around and invest it in my company, probably raise, raise uh, the wages of my workers. Of course, to steal a line <laughs> from you. Um, so that's really what we're where we're going out and talking about is 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 what can the Democratic Party in this in this uh, area do for you that hasn't been getting done. You know, Jake, we live in an area. Fresno is actually the number one city uh, in California in terms of our uh, metro poverty rate. Um. You know, we have a situation where we are a majority Latino district um, with a, a Latino population that is uh, 35% in poverty. We have a poverty rate of children under the age of six that's in the high 30%. So voting Republican hasn't really worked out for us, but instead of uh, going in there and trying to differentiate and say, you know, this is the things that we stand for. This is how we're going to improve your life. We go in there, Democrats have been going in there and saying and talking like the other guy about stuff that they don't really care about. Yeah. Uh, Imagine how much better Democrats could do in that district and all districts if people thought there was a reason to vote for Democrats, that if you elect Democrats, they do something. Um, But It's hard to blame voters when Democrats never do anything. And so they think, okay, yeah, I guess I don't like Republicans. But what's the point of showing up? Because Democrats aren't gonna do anything either. And so you're a progressive, progressives actually wanna take action and the others clearly, clearly don't. So now Lauren though, it's first of all, I want everybody to know laurenhubbard.com. You see how his name is spelled, we'll put the link down below if you're watching the description box, there it is. Uh, and progressives need help in, in fundraising because uh, there aren't going to be a lot of cor- corporate PACs coming in to help, that's for sure. Um, so, Lauren, though, um, it, it's really tough out there for progressives in a race like yours because I imagine there isn't a lot of press, and usually the press uh, sides with conservatives in this insane, topsy turvy world we live in. Uh, but I don't know the specifics of your race. How has it been there? Uh, you know, it is true. Uh, we do have a, a, a you know very limited press um, in this area. Um, I, for one, have been doing my part in getting op-eds out there. One of the things that we are also focusing on, um, of course, water is the number one concern, uh, not only in the valley here in the Central Valley, but of all of California. But for me, you know, a lot of folks know about our water quantity problems, but not our water quality problems. We have uh, little towns up and down this district where people can't turn on their faucet because of nitrate poisonings. Um, And that is is an ongoing issue. 
uh, that's been going on since Devin Nunes has been the representative here and has done nothing about it. So, uh, you know, we're really trying to make the case and the argument in, in putting op-eds and everything where we can, uh, kind of highlighting the difference. We have a person who says, you know, uh, Nathan Maxig is one of the uh, conservatives that are uh, running for this seat. Um, every time he's on the camera, he's talking about really bringing water to the valley, bringing water to the valley and all this really nonsense. And I'm in the field and I can tell you the ways that these politicians, our current politicians that have been representing this area have not. Devin Nunes, when it comes to the infrastructure bill that was just passed, uh, had an opportunity to vote for it, did not. Turns out that infrastructure bill brought in $600 million to help California with our water infrastructure issues. Um, so I'm doing what I can to, to get out there, uh, go on really anywhere that'll allow me. Um, you know, thank you so much for giving me the platform to talk about issues here. Um, but, you know, going out to, to podcasts, uh, yesterday we had a, a January 6th, remembering January 6th rally that I was at, got a little press from. Uh, but anywhere I can be, I'm trying to be that every man and be uh, everywhere that, that I can be. I'm like Visa, everywhere you want to be. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I mean, boy, do you have the right expertise because the, the Central Valley, understandably obsessed with water. And you were on the water quality control board. <laughs> I mean, that was a kind of a lucky break. Uh, um, you didn't go into that because you think one day you're going to run politics, right? I mean, it just so happened that no. water is a top issue and you're a water expert, right? Right. For me, you know what? Really, when I think about this race, what really, why I started to run for Congress really goes back to 2011. Um, it was a couple weeks, a few weeks after my mother died. Um, I was in my junior year at Fresno State here, and um, it was kind of a situation. My mom was a single mother with two kids who did, you know, what you're supposed to do. She did, did work during the day, went to community college at night, got her associate's degree, started working, got a job with health benefits, but the health benefits, you know, wasn't enough to cover her prescriptions, and she made the decision to. Uh, ultimately put that money into other bills. And it was a decision that ultimately cost her her life. And it was a few weeks after that I got a, a bill for her health care. Um, and it really kind of served as a call to action to me. Because at first I was just kind of like, what, how, what? I can't pay $80,000. Um, it was just kind of a, a, a call to action. So I started a career in public service from that moment, changed my major over to political science. Uh, I started at the Department of Social Services, actually, with Fresno County, really getting into working with the underserved population, uh, getting to know uh, all about our, our food stamp program, getting to know the ins and outs of the, our Medicaid program. Um, and then from there, I uh, kind of switched over to work for the state of California um, as a health and pensions analyst. So I learned about our retirement program, about our health system for our public employees. And really, that's another issue that nobody is really talking about is with with people coming out of college now with student debt. Um, you know, we're not buying houses. We're not doing this, but we're also not putting away for retirement. And we're finding the situation where, um, you know, we're we're getting squeezed where our parents are starting to get to the age where they're like living with us because they also did put away for retirement. How could you? We haven't raised wages in this country 
in 40 years 10, at least. Years. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. So, um, yeah. I've just been, been all about public service uh, from the time I left college. All right, uh, we're out of time. So real quick though, I, I love this part. Uh, what did your mom say to you every day she dropped you off at the bus for school? Knowledge is power. Plant a seed, guys. They can Plant never take seed. away from you. Yeah, and so your mom, his Lauren's mom, planted a seed, saying knowledge is power. You became the first graduate of four-year college in your in your family, and yep. and then public service, and now he's running for Congress. And imagine how great it would be if a TYT member replaced Devin Nunes. Hey, hey. <laughs> that would be awesome. So laurenhubbard.com, everybody go help, laurenhubbard.com. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.